Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Well, this podcast is being released on the weekend of Grandparents' Day. You'll be hearing from Ken Canfield, founder of the National Association for Grandparenting, as he offers some insight into the importance of grandparents and how they can fulfill their God-given role. Then you'll be hearing from a survivor of a life-threatening disease who came away from that experience with a great appreciation for God's faithfulness. Robin Bertram provides some comments on lessons that came during that season. Next, it's noted author Bill Myers. He's teamed up with fellow author Angela Hunt to write a book of stories of how God has worked in people's lives, showing up in incredible ways. And on this edition of The Intersection, from Pure Flix, it's co-founder David A.R. White, providing information on the latest film in the God's Not Dead series, now available on home video. He's a producer and actor and highlights the concept of a film designed to show how Christians can walk in the light of the Lord in a troublesome world. Also from another conversation at this year's Unite event in Nashville, singer and author Juliana Zobrist, whose husband plays for the Chicago Cubs, discusses how to deal with fear and to become who God has intended his people to be. Finally, from Family Research Council, it's Peter Sprigg commenting on a recent attempt in California to pass legislation that would embolden the LGBT agenda, a bill that was withdrawn by the sponsor at the last minute. He also comments on this trend of people dressed in drag reading books to children. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Ken Canfield is known for his work with fathers and families, and he's developed a special desire to strengthen grandparents. Grandparents' Day is being observed during the weekend. This podcast is being released. He spoke with me to talk about his effort called the National Association for Grandparenting, of which he is a founder, and to underscore the importance of grandparents. Here now is Ken Canfield. If you were going to say what implies uh, your responsibility and the expectation is to pass on a heritage, and some of that heritage you may have to hold back until maturity is reached in the grandkids, but your house is like a museum. There are artifacts there, and I say jokingly, that need to be shown when the grandkids come over. Your life story, how you came to know Christ, when did you first call him Lord, it's sharing your testimony with your grandkids, that's vitally important. That spiritual heritage gives them a sense of rootedness. Then there's the E, uh, heart is an acronym for the five aspects, and that's being a good example. Like it or not, these little eyes watch you very closely, and they absorb things, and just your little time with them can have a huge, uh, what I'd say, modeling and imprinting impact on your grandchildren. So you need to be attuned to those things that you're saying and doing, and above all, strap on those seatbelts. I know many grandparents didn't grow up with that, but in this day and age, you better be sure everybody's tight and, and safety is a must. When surveying adults who had grandparents that were involved in their lives very, uh, what I'd say, proactively and significantly, I said, give me a word or a phrase that expresses your feelings about your grandparent. And this is what they wrote, Bob. My grandparents are like angels. Now think about that. Grandparents, you have some angelic authority in your family system. Uh, 
angels show up at special times. They have messages. They're there for protection. Boy, read the book of Revelation, and they are warring in the spiritual realms in prayer and every sort of other way uh, that, that angels express themselves. And, and so that A is to help you think, okay, what am I? Now, I'm not saying you're an angel, okay? That would be misinformation, but it's like that role. And you're, uh, this came from the hearts of those who had grandparents that were deeply involved. Now, I know there are some grandparents listening right now that's, uh, that are saying, I want to be more involved. They cut me off. Well, that leads me to the R. The R is a place where we stand as grand leaders in our family, and the R is for reconcilers, providing the framework for reconciliation. I tell you, you do this, and you'll have changed eyes and uh, meaning uh, an intense uh, uh, response from your children. Tell your children, okay, I, you know, have learned some things about being a parent. If I did it all over again, I'd probably do some things different than what I did with you. And I, I just want you to know that if there's anything that, that I've done that, you know, has caused, you know, any sort of pain or grief, I, I earnestly ask you to forgive me for that. And I want to reconcile in any way, shape, or form because, because I now want to be the best grandma or best grandfather that I can possibly be. I want to be part of your support team. I want to help you. So you let me know. So this reconciling in a family system so needed. And I mean, here we are, we're going to meet Jesus fairly soon, probably more so than mm-hmm. our grandkids, unless there's some mishap. And so why are we not preparing by being reconcilers as Jesus, or as Paul said, you know, and as we saw Jesus who reconciled himself to us, our ministry is one of reconciliation. That's a tough one. And one that will bring life and vitality into the family, Bob. The big T is for you are a teacher. What are you going to teach and how are you going to teach it? Are you an accountant that's going to pass on the opportunity you had to uh, learn systems and, and, and do things with a correct, orderly way? Are you uh, an artisan that has to pass something on? This teaching does not only impact the vocational aptitude that you can pass on to, to a grandchild, but it's doing things with them, teaching and always recognize you're a teacher. And the moral and spiritual teaching, all we have to do is impart God's Word because it is so full of richness and principles. Ken Canfield here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website grandkidsmatter.org. Next up, it's author and speaker Robin Bertram, Vice President of Media Relations for Christian Women in Media. She related about God's faithfulness in the midst of a life-threatening illness, providing the inspiration for the book which she discussed, Hidden Treasures, Finding Hope at the End of Life's Journey. Here now is Robin Bertram. Tell me just a bit about the hidden treasures that you experienced for yourself during that time of difficulty. Well, I think one is what I mentioned before, the Lord really, you know, when we go through it, I think of Job, when we are tested to the very core of our being, it's not for God to find out what's in us. It's for us to find out what's in us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I, I remember one of the greatest treasures 
is when the Lord asked me that question, do you really believe what you've taught? Because it was a defining moment in my faith, and I talk about defining faith within the book, but it really... You know, your faith will define the way you live. The fa- your faith will define the way you die. And your faith will define everything in between. And so it was a defining moment when, you know, it, these weren't just words. These were, Robin, I know, but do you believe? And so that was one of the biggest treasures, I think, the Lord showed me what was in my own heart Yes, Lord, I do believe. And so, and I know, too, you know, another uh, treasure that really, for me personally, sometimes we don't depend on the Holy Spirit. We know the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, but sometimes we don't realize that he is our comforter. And I can tell you in the night, in the middle of the night, when you are, when you're faced with, with uh, there's nothing but you and God, you really cry out, and the Holy Spirit brings peace. He brings comfort. He brings such a, such an overwhelming sense of peace in your heart that man cannot understand unless they have first accepted Jesus as Lord. And that, to me, the the the. Uh, comfort of the Holy Spirit was another treasure that I will never forget, and I'm so thankful for in those very dark days. Now, as you see this book being used to reach families that may have a terminally ill member or, or someone that is definitively reaching the end of life, what do you see as some of the, the main some of these obviously applicable across the board, but for, for someone that is in that situation, how do you see this book being used to really minister well, in that? One of one of my shareworthy quotes that I put is in the book is, in the midst of our deepest pain, God is watching to see if we, if we will reach for his abundant promises. And if ever there is a nugget of wisdom, it's that all the promises of God that are listed in the Scripture, we can reach out for, we can hold on to. Uh, One of the men that I worked with in his dying days, he said, Robin, if I'm healed here, I'm healed. If I'm healed there, I'm healed. Either way, I'm healed. (laughs) And that was such a beautiful uh, outlook, a heavenly perspective to have. Because we understand, and hopefully the book will minister, um, our situations do not define who we are. What defines us is our heavenly perspective. When we can look up and know that we have peace, knowing we will spend eternity with Jesus, when we know that we are heavenly bound, one of the last chapters, everyone wants to go to heaven, nobody wants to die. Mm. (laughs) And I, I wrote that chapter because I really think that if people understood what awaits them, you know, uh, even Paul, Apostle Paul, was torn. Should I stay and work, which is to your benefit, or should I go on and be with the Lord? <laughs> because he understood the beauty and the power of what 
awaited him in eternity. And so I think the takeaways of the book is God, one, he does hear, he cares, he sees, and he knows what you're going through. And the other uh, hidden treasure is to know that we have a home. We're just passing through. We might leave this earth today. We don't know. There's no guarantees. The day will come when every one of us will leave this earth. And the question is, where are you going to end up mm. in eternity? Robin Bertram here on The Intersection. Her website is Robin Bertram, B-E-R-T-R-A-M dot TV. Well, author Bill Myers visited with me recently and discussed the concept of a book that he co-authored with Angela Hunt entitled, When God Happens, True Stories of Modern-Day Miracles. He related summaries of some of the stories contained within the book, from that conversation, this is Bill Myers. Frangie and I, as we were collecting these stories, and, and actually many of them were stories from friends that we had heard over the years, uh, we thought it would be a travesty not to have them uh, written down. So that's, uh, that's how the, the seed of the book began. And we're working on another one now uh, on angels, but again, working really hard to make sure that the the stories are accurate uh, and that they can be vetted. Yeah, and that's a good point. And I was on the website, whengodhappens.com. That's the website corresponding to the book. And there's, this is kind of a perpetuating thing, isn't it? Because you're, you've shared the stories in the book, but you're also encouraging people to share their stories. And as you mentioned, you have this next book that is in the works as far as angelic experiences. So people can can actually share their stories and and be part of the narrative it sounds like yeah a, a safe way to do it without being carted off to uh, some mental hospital um, we we do we 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 look into the stories make sure that they're you know that they can be verified and if they can uh, or if more than one person was aware of it as it was happening uh, so yeah, it's it's been a it's been a real eye, eye opener. As you and I had said, it it takes God um, at least for me out of the land of of philosophy and just reading about Him and getting a chance to see Him at work today. Uh, and to me, that was probably mm. the greatest excitement in doing the book. Well, and as you and Angela Hunt actually corresponded and began to put this all together, elaborate just a bit more on what you really wanted to, as I can say like this, see God do with the book. Well, we wanted to uh, we wanted to encourage people. We wanted to uh, to uh, let folks know that God didn't just create us and walk away, but that He's intimately involved. We also, uh, the danger, there's a bit of a danger. We didn't want the reader to think, well, you know, the Lord did a miracle for so-and-so, but he hasn't done for me, so that must make me somehow um, inferior. And we uh, stressed uh, time and time again that God has deeper things going on Hmm. than just healing. And what we tried to do sometimes in the book is to show that, the deeper type of healings that were happening as the more uh, superficial things, if you can call, you know, bringing babies back from the dead superficial, but as the superficial things were happening, the deeper touch and healing that the Lord would use. And sometimes he does that by not healing. 
Uh, and so we wanted to make that clear, too. And you talked about you and Angela had known a number of these stories or the people involved in them firsthand. So, so comment just a bit more on, as you refer to it, the vetting process of these stories that actually made it into the book. Well, um, in the in the healings, the medical healings, we, we actually uh, spoke to doctors or got confirmation from doctors. Um, one, <laughs> one of my favorite stories is uh, Dennis Hensley, uh, who's a, a teacher, a professor. Uh, his child was um, pronounced dead in the womb. They couldn't hear a heartbeat. And... Um, they deliver the child and discover there was a heartbeat. I have no explanation for it, the doctor said. Five of us pronounced that baby dead, and two different fetal monitors confirmed no heartbeat. I don't believe in miracles, but I have no uh, medical explanation for this one. Uh, so that's that's pretty good proof when you've got when you've got a line of doctors saying uh, we don't believe in miracles, but somehow the baby that had no heartbeat when in the mm. womb uh, now has a heartbeat. So, yeah, we, we were we were careful. We don't want to frighten people away if they don't have an ironclad, um, you know, proof. Uh, but at the same time, we want to make sure that people's imaginations just weren't getting carried away with themselves. Bill Myers here on The Intersection. Learn more when you go to the website whengodhappens.com. Well, The Intersection is a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more by going to the website meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. At the homepage, you'll find a link to the media center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection podcast. You can also subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. The podcast is available through the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you visit faithradio.org. And through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find links to two blogs. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there is a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. David A.R. White is co-founder of Pure Flix. He's also the lead actor in, as well as co-producer of the movie God's Not Dead, A Light and Darkness. He discussed the concept and plot of the film, in addition to some of the ideas about how Christians can effectively live out their faith. From that conversation, this is David A.R. White. We had just wanted to make a movie about apologetics for quite a while, and, um, and you know, and all the stuff that was going on in the college campuses, and, and, uh, and when actually one of our investors came to us and presented, uh, he had the God's Not Dead song, uh, the relationship of the Newsboys, and Rice Brooks had been writing a book about apologetics um, called God's Not Dead. And with that is where the inception uh, came out of that we really felt like, you know, the title was there, the song was there, and let's make a movie around that. Um, and that's, that's kind of how it started um, with, you know, and obviously, God's Not Dead, you know, went off and, and did all kinds of, uh, broke all kinds of records and, and certainly um, made a difference and was the number one live action independent movie of 2014. 
And it just impacted a lot of people's lives. And, you know, at the end of that movie, you see all these court cases that were going on and, and college campuses all over the, all over the country. And, and, uh, and that's kind of what started out that whole franchise. And so here we are, you know, in the, in the third installment of it. And, um, and I think, you know, uh, this one is certainly different than the first two. We didn't want to just make another movie to make another movie. We really felt like, you know, every one of these films has been, um, uh, for such a time as this, you know, what was the relevant, how were they relevant at the time? And, and again, I think, I think that's what we did with this one. Tell me about how this opens up with respect to, to Pastor Dave and what your character is experiencing. Obviously, Gaza Dead, this a light and darkness has, has uh, quite a few different themes to it. And, and um, you know, we go back to the college campus with the kids. Uh, there's a lead girl that, that is struggling, grew up in the faith, and now all of a sudden, you know, like one of the lines that, that uh, the kids say to her um, when God comes out is, is they flippantly say, oh, you're one of those, you know, a hmm. believer. And, uh, you know, so you have that storyline going on, and then you have, um, you know, at the center of it is, is, is the stuff that Reverend Dave is going through, that here, you know, our parents had built this church uh, and built this school, started this university, and, and it, this, the school had been turned over to the state years ago, um, and what happened was, is in the process, our church, you know, my church gets burned down at the beginning of this film, mm. and through, through our, you know, um, and I lose a best friend in the process of it, and it just is, the school now goes, you know what, no longer do we believe the church is relevant and we don't need the church anymore? In fact, we, instead of rebuilding this church, we'd rather build a student center. And we're going to call you out on it uh, through a thing called eminent domain, and you're no longer going to be able to, you know, be able to have that. And that gives us the right to do this. And so, you know, it creates this legal battle. And, of course, I call my, my brother who – um, you know, I, I think no film is, is uh, you know, you don't wrap it up nice and easy without having, uh, you know, the pastor have to work with his brother who happens to be an atheist. Mm. And how in the world are they now going to take on this, you know, conglomerate, this university, basically Goliath? Tell me about Pastor Dave's passion to really see this church rebuilt on the original site rather than, say, move on campus, move off campus. Is that something that was yeah, well, a consideration? You know, I think the importance of rebuilding the church where it was, was there was a purpose why that church was built around a college campus, on a college campus, is to serve, you know, um, the kids that were coming to this um, thing, you know, and, and uh, one of the lines in the, in the, um, that talks about that I like is, is, uh, is it, it goes, the church serves a bigger purpose than just being a church. Like it serves, the, it does so many other things in people's lives, in college kids' lives, you know. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing about this, this film is that, you know, we've been living kind of in this dark, social, political, divisive time where everybody is yelling at each other and no one is listening. Our country has been split more and more to where, you know, uh, there's so much fighting and backbiting going on. And this question is, is, well, you know, in this film, what we wanted to do is we wanted to take an organic, authentic look at both sides. So it wasn't just one side beating the other side over the head with a, you know, with a, a bat. It's like, how do we bring unity 
in the midst of chaos? How do you bring light in the midst of darkness? That was David A.R. White, and you can learn more about the film by going to godsnotdead.com. Next, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast from the Faith Radio Meeting House Broadcast Center at Unite 2018 in Nashville, I had the chance to talk with singer and author Juliana Zobrist. She discussed her book, Pull It Off, Removing Your Fears and Putting on Confidence. She shared insight about experiencing freedom in Christ. From that conversation, this is Juliana Zobrist. After the shows, I I had an 80-year-old woman come up to me and say, you know, this song talking about shame. I have lived with this shame. I have lived with the guilt of what happened in my past. And for the first time, I feel like maybe God doesn't need me to have to go back and change that. Maybe he's always loved me and I can step out into the world and encourage and actually be courageous now. And so it was these conversations of, you know, another 12 year old girl that, um, went home that night after the show. And the only reason I know this is because her father emailed me saying he heard his daughter tearing down these band posters in her room and putting (sighs) back up these horse posters in her room. And he, and she said, I'm, I'm just inspired that I don't want to live for the approval of other people anymore. I want to love what I love. I don't love these bands. I love horses. And so, um, the passion behind writing this book, pull it off came from you it came from my fans from my listeners that are asking the same question that I think we're all asking how do we live in courage and in confidence and and the whole entire book is written um for people such as myself dealing with insecurities and who want to be courageous Well, what's interesting is that there's a circular effect going on here because you actually have been ministering in song about these different areas. The message is taking root in hearts, and then you're hearing that message come back to you. And so now the circle is complete, and you're continuing to move along as you share that message again with your fans, but in a different way. And not only your fans, but perhaps people that are not familiar with the you know, with what you do musically or not been to a concert and, and had that opportunity. So it's, it's very cool what God's done here. Yeah, it definitely is. And and the heart to communicate is really what my heart always has been as a writer, as a young child, writing, writing songs, writing poetry, um, just writing in general. That's always been what I have loved. The, the heart behind what I have done in my career has always been because i love to challenge people and love to make you think and love to remind you of who you are and whose you are and and why we are here on the earth. Mm. Well, let's talk about addressing some of these issues. You mentioned shame, for instance. Mm-hmm. You talked about insecurity that you had mm-hmm. in your own life growing up. So in dealing with these things, and I think that probably the title of this book gives a clue, yes. but when you talk about areas that God wants to do a work, a, a freeing work, a transformational work, areas of, of insecurity or where identity issues are not lined up with who yes. God says you are. So what have you found to be maybe some ways that people can actually deal with those issues that become troubling and weigh people down. Yeah. Insecurities are prevalent in all of our lives. I don't 
necessarily believe that any one of us will ever be completely rid of insecurities or fear. Um, to say that somebody is fearless, I think is always inaccurate because there will always be fear on this earth. And the first step to overcoming and utilizing your fear is to recognize the fundamental belief that you have about yourself before God. And in the book, I challenge the readers to, to, okay, take away all of the superfluary things that we know of God and fundamentally come to grips with the fact that he says that you are worthy of love simply by nature of being created. So Mm. you are his created being for God. So loved the world, you know, um, before the beginning of time that he he loved, he so loved us that he wanted you to be on this earth and to be in this life. And that fundamental understanding of worthiness and intrinsic value by God is really the soil out of which grows this, this ability to look at fear and say, okay, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use fear. It's going to become my catalyst to, Hmm. to come to grips with courage and, and use courage um, to become confident. So, it, but it all is born out of this very, um, not basic in so much as simplicity, but this basic and fundamental belief of worthiness and value and acceptance before God. Juliana Zobrist here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website. It's Juliana, J-U-L-I-A-N-N-A, Zobrist, Z-O-B-R-I-S-T, as in Ben Zobrist of the Chicago Cubs, her husband, the website julianazobrist.com. Well, next on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Senior Fellow for Policy Studies for Family Research Council, Peter Sprigg. He provided analysis on the California Bill AB 2943, which would have potentially banned counseling for people to overcome unwanted same-sex attraction. That bill was pulled by the sponsor at the last minute. Also, he addressed the concept of the Drag Queen Story Hour, exposing young children to objectionable concepts. Here now is Peter Sprigg. If people uh, self-identify as gay and they're happy being gay, then this therapy is not for them. It's not for them. They will tell stories about it being, you know, coercive, that young people are coerced by their parents into doing it and so forth. But if if they were really worried about coercion as the problem, then they would try to implement a system of informed consent. They would require consent Hmm. rather than trying to outlaw it altogether. They're outlawing it for people who desperately want it and are not being coerced by anybody. And uh, and so the, the problem is... They don't want people – they have been working for years to persuade people that, um, that being gay is an innate characteristic, and it cannot be changed. And, and they want people to think of being homosexual as being uh, like being black, you know, that it's like race. And therefore, that uh, disapproving of someone who's homosexual is like – disapproving of someone because of their race, that it's just that bigoted. That's what they've been trying to do for years. If there is evidence that people can change, it undermines that entire narrative, which they have exploited for political purposes for a long time. Now, the ironic thing is there are even gay uh, scholars, there are liberal scholars who admit now that um, sexual orientation 
can change, that sexual orientation is not immutable. Uh, in fact, there, there, there's a woman, Lisa Diamond, who is a lesbian um, scholar who has written a lot about this topic of sexual fluidity. And she said it's time for the LGBT community to stop claiming that sexual orientation is immutable because the science does not support that. But, uh, but the, uh, nevertheless, they, they still you know, the, the political activists um, still don't like that message. Why would someone want to go to a public place and read a story dressed up as the opposite gender? And why would a child or why would a parent even want their child to be exposed to that? This is just very hard to comprehend, but it's a very real threat. The very first time I heard of this, which was only about a year ago, I think it was the summer of last year, uh, I heard about this happening in Boston, and I, I thought I thought it was a one-off thing. I thought it was a one-time event, and I thought, oh boy, Massachusetts, you know, it's such a liberal <laughs> state and everything. And um, I didn't realize that this was a whole movement, and they have their own organization. They have their own website, and they say – now, one of the things – that you know it, it's been a little different in each community i've read local news stories about different communities where this has come up including mobile alabama uh lafayette louisiana is wrestling with this right now we've been in touch with people down there but here's what they say on the website for this dragqueenstoryhour.org it says that dqsh it has a little initials captures the imagination and play of the gender fluidity of childhood and gives kids glamorous, positive, and unabashedly queer role models. So let's not hear anything about this being intended to help with literacy, help kids learn to read. This is about a political, social agenda that tears down gender distinctions and um, seeks to present these drag queens who are, who are uh, generally men who dress up in very flamboyant female makeup and costumes, um, to present them as role models to young children as young as three years old or even younger. Um, and it's very safe. If you look at the beginning of this website, they have a large picture all across the all across the, the your screen of a drag queen kneeling down and smiling at a little um, girl, uh, not even three years old, I would say, maybe two. And uh, the drag queen is smiling, and this little girl who's wearing a rainbow-colored dress is staring at this other person and is not smiling. <laughs> so I think this is I think this is indicative, ironically, of the problem with this. Kids do not know how to process this. This will create confusion in small children, uh, for whom understanding the differences between male and female is an important developmental task, and they are trying to deliberately disrupt this important developmental task. And I think it's unconscionable, actually. Peter Sprig here on the intersection. The organization's website is frc.org. Well, this is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. And again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. 
You'll find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. You can also subscribe to the podcast and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, each week. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a connection to video content. The Intersection Podcast is also available through the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you visit faithradio.org. You can find The Meeting House homepage at meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.